The second part of my story about the Rocky Horror Show has kind of a different spin to it because after all, I was traveling to New York City and Broadway and I had never, ever been there before. Now remember, the Rocky Horror Show at the Roxy was coming to an end and the cast from the Rocky Horror Show at the Roxy was traveling to New York for the Broadway production. And the cast from the original London production was making the movie. Both productions included Tim Curry. I remember sitting in a movie theater in Westwood, I believe it was, with Paul. And this was be- this was after I went to see the Rocky Horror Show on Broadway, and I'll get to that in a minute, but I think it's an interesting um, sideline. We were sitting there in the movie theater and we were watching the movie, and then an advertisement comes up in the middle of the movie or before the movie or wherever it came up, and it was an advertisement for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I bet you just you can just imagine two queens sitting there so excited about the movie that we could hardly contain ourselves. Well, we needed to make sure that we were there and there we were. And I'll get into that later because that's kind of a different story about the the opening of the Rocky Horror Picture Show and how it came across to the audiences, specifically the gay audience. But let's go back to my, I like to call it a pilgrimage to New York City because Paul and I were supposed to go together to see the Rocky Horror Show on Broadway. And we both had to save our money so that we could be able to afford it. And this was when I was about, I don't know, 17 years old or or whatever, really close to that. And I had to get my parents' permission. And my parents, they had spoken to Jamie, Jamie Donnelly, who played Magenta in the Rocky um, production at the Roxy Theater. So they were kind of familiar with, yeah, I was going to New York City, but they had spoken to Jamie and they liked her and they knew her, and even though they never met her, but it was kind of like, okay. And you know what? I'm blessed with parents like that. Um, I've talked about in previous podcasts or a podcast about coming out to my parents and my parents being my best and supportive allies. And they were supportive of me at 17 years old to go to New York City to see the Rocky Horror Show. But I had to come up with my own money to pay for my own trip, more or less. My parents helped me out with that. Um, What I did was, um, (laughs) going back a little bit further, growing up, I always wanted to play the piano. I wanted my own piano. My parents got me an accordion. Because remember, I told you my father was in the military and he was part of special services. And so they got me an accordion. And I took accordion lessons, and I actually was good 
at the accordion. But I didn't want to play the accordion. Even though I think the accordion right now is more cool than than the piano. But I didn't want to play the accordion. I wanted to play the piano. So time went on a little bit more and I still wanted to play the piano and I didn't want to play the accordion. So my parents got me a guitar. Are you getting the sense here that my parents kind of were a little cheap or frugal or whatever you want to call it? So they got me the guitar and I took the guitar lessons and I was okay at it, but I didn't like the fact that playing the guitar hurt my fingers. You had to uh, press those strings really hard to get the kind of sound that you wanted and that wasn't my jam. So I had an accordion, I had a guitar, I wanted to go to Broadway. So I sold the accordion and I sold the guitar and I got money and my parents helped me out with the money and I got my ticket and my parents helped me out with the hotel. Now their stipulation to me going to New York City to see the play was that they were going to make sure that I stayed in a very expensive, for lack of a better way to put it, hotel so that I would be safe. And my biggest fear was that I was going to go to New York City and actually come home in a box, a coffin, AKA. Because at that time, New York City was not, at least by reputation, not the safest place in the world. So I was already a little bit terrified going and my parents were wary, but they were were willing to let me go and they did. And I flew there, I got to the hotel, which was a very lovely and nice and very expensive hotel. So we pulled up, I got my luggage, I went into the lobby, the check-in desk of the hotel and told them that I had a room reserved. And they told me that yes, they had me on the reservations, but they weren't able to let me go to my room right this minute because my room had been vandalized earlier in the day and they were taking care of whatever they needed to take care of. Well, that sort of started me on the path of wondering, okay, am I gonna go home in a box? And my parents got me this fancy hotel And here, on the very first day, I'm finding out that my hotel room had been vandalized. Okay, what am I supposed to do? I was way more intent on seeing Jamie in the Rocky Horror Show than I cared about my room being vandalized. So I waited. Eventually, they brought me up to my room, and I got in the room, and I locked the door, And the first thing I did was check under the bed to make sure that that thief wasn't still hanging out in my room and hiding and waiting to, I don't know. So remember, I was 17, so my imagination ran a little wild. Unlike today, my imagination doesn't run wild at all. Yeah, right. So I was perfectly settled in my room. That night, I was going to see the Rocky Horror Show at the Belasco Theater on Broadway. I even talked to Jamie on the phone and she let me know that she had my seat reserved front row 
and that I was to meet her at the stage door. And she would come out, she would get me, she would bring me inside. Wonderful. Of course, we take a cab in New York City, so I got all ready and I went downstairs, got my taxi cab, got in the cab, was sitting in the back seat. And I don't know if it's still like that now, but back then they had that plexiglass window between the back seat and the front seat. And I understand the concept of it. It's kind of like protecting the driver from the person who's sitting in the back seat. What also happened was, is that once the car started to engage, the locks in the passenger seat locked and there were no knobs on it. So I wasn't able to open it myself. It just locked. So I was basically a captive sitting in the back seat. So the cab driver started to pull out. And just as we started to pull out, another cab shot in front of my cab driver in the spot that was available right in front of him. And my cab driver was not able to maneuver his car to get out of the parking space. So of course my cab driver started honking his horn and honking his horn and the other cab driver in front of him was not budging. He wasn't doing anything at all. I'm sitting in the back seat wondering, okay, is this the day that I die? I don't know. Um, All of a sudden my cab driver decides he's going to step on the gas, put it in reverse, step on the gas, put it into reverse to just basically have his cab budge this other cab out of the way. And he did. And I'm sitting there wondering what the hell is going on here. Well, the cab driver in front got out of his cab, came to the driver's side of my cab driver's window, which happened to be down, and pulled out a switchblade. And there they are arguing in the window while I sit in the back. Eventually, I guess they sort of went to their separate corners and my cab driver was able to bump his car up enough so that we were able to get out. And on our way to the Belasco Theater, we went. We stopped at the stoplight. All of a sudden, right behind us, as I looked through the back window, was the other cab driver. And he stopped, but he didn't quite stop enough until he hit the back of our cab and pushed our cab out into the middle of traffic. And my cab driver asked me, do you think you want me to just let you out right here? And I said, "Uh, no, I'm not getting out right here. You take me and deliver me right to the front door of the Belasco Theater. You think I'm crazy? In fact, that's what he did. The other cab driver didn't follow us. I guess he felt like he made his point. And we drove and he let me off at the front of the Belasco Theater. There was a line in front of the theater of the theater goers waiting to get in. I step out. I've got my Rocky Horror Show t-shirt on. I've got a big bouquet of flowers and I'm standing at the stage door 
now in retrospect looking like the biggest goober there ever could be. But open the stage the stage door, Jamie came out, she collected me, brought me in. I'm sort of in my mind saying, "See you bitches." And I walk in and she takes me on a tour of the theater. I wasn't allowed to go into the dressing room. I didn't understand exactly why at the time because I I I wanted pictures. And Jamie said that she would take pictures for me, which she did. But I didn't understand why I wasn't able to go in there, and it wasn't until uh, quite a while later that I realized that was just respectful. There were other people in the dressing room, other actors getting ready in various stages of dress or undress or whatever, and it wouldn't have been appropriate for me to go in, and I get that. So I waited outside. Jamie went in. She took the pictures. I took a couple pictures of her outside. We took a little bit of a tour. And then it was time for the show to start. So she went about her business. I went into the theater. I found my seat. I was sitting in the front row. And by the way, not only did Jamie get me front row seats for Friday night, she got me front row seats for Saturday night as well. It was VIP all the way, and everybody knows I like VIP. So the show started, Jamie came out. Literally, it seemed like she was doing the show just for me when she was acting, when she was the usherette, when Magenta came out. I felt the most special that I'd ever felt, I think, in all my life. It made such an impression. And the show was fabulous. They added so many different kinds of, I don't want to say special effects, but they added, you know, more like stunts and things like that. Like when Rocky was born and he came out um, of the Coca-Cola machine. That was what he did in the play. Um, at the Roxy, he just came out and he started dancing, and then he came on the stage and started dancing. In the Broadway production, he came out of the Coca-Cola machine, and it was a cooler, not a machine like you put in the money and the Coca-Cola cans come out. It was that cooler, and you know what I mean. It kind of looks like a coffin with Coca-Cola written on the side, and it's red. Um, he came out of that and then latched on to this rope. And it just started swinging him all around the audience in the theater. It was just fantastic. Yeah, it was fantastic by those standards. I'm sure now it probably, you know, pales to what they do in the Broadway plays now. But it was magical and it was fantastic. And it was something that I had not seen before. Because remember, this is my first Broadway play. The show ended. It was wonderful. Jamie came and collected me after the show was over. Um, it ended in a, in a strange way. Kim Milford, who played Rocky, came to the stage door and collected Jamie. And I was there. And then all of a sudden, I became this 
third wheel type person type feeling. I was sitting on the steps, still behind the stage. But Jamie and Kim said goodbye to me, and then they just left. And I just sat there on the steps, wondering, what do I do now? But what I do remember is that while sitting on the steps, I sat and watched Tim Curry in his dressing room, taking off his makeup. At the time, that really didn't make much of an impact with me. But now, I really do see how fantastical that was to actually watch the great Tim Curry taking off his makeup. I went out, I got in the cab, I went back to the hotel, and Jamie called me the next day. And I don't really understand the, I mean, she called me. Maybe she was feeling a little bit bad about leaving me or whatever. I don't know. But she called me and she wanted to meet me. And she wanted to take me on a cab tour of New York City. So she came with the cab. She wasn't driving the cab. The cab driver was. But she picked me up. We were both in the cab. We took a a, a cab tour around the city. I saw so many wonderful things. New York City is a, is a wonderfully brilliant place to be. And hopefully one day I'll get to live there. That would be wonderful. Then we went back to her apartment, which is everything that you can imagine in what... I don't want to say struggling actress but a Broadway actress who hasn't quite made it yet. It was the kind of apartment that I would imagine that they would live in, that they would be like. It was a walk-up with a fire escape and a one room with a bathroom and a bed and a chair and all that stuff. And we just sat there and we talked and it was wonderful until it was time to go to the theater again for the second night show, Saturday. So we went to the theater. She went to the dressing room to change and do what she needed to do. She allowed me to walk around backstage, see what I could see. Ultimately, I made my way to my seat front row to see the play for the second night in a row. And honestly, it was just as magical, if not more, the second night. I felt equally as special, and it's a memory that is going to last me for the rest of my life. And I'm so happy to be able to share that with you on my podcast, Lived to Tell. And as an addendum to that quote, struggling Broadway actress, quote, that I made, albeit Jamie being extremely talented, she has now become a household name. They may not remember the name Jamie Donnelly, per se, but they remember Jan, 
the Brusha 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 girl from the iconic movie Grease. Period. She will forever be a pink lady for the ages.